I am the church. We are the church. We are the church. I am the church. We are 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 the church. Hi, 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 hi. We are the church. We are the church. I am the church. I am the church. Ron was too. Wasn't it good to see the church? I love that. Um, that thank you, all of you who participated in that, who sent in clips. Um, that was fun to do, and, and we're going to tie that in in a little bit, but I also need to thank uh, Reagan Slot. Reagan put that together for us and did an amazing job, much better than I could have done. So um, I want to give her credit for that. Um, it's, uh, it's interesting as we start into a new series, um, you know, I, I'm thinking about, well, okay, let's talk about it. There, there's a guy, and, and he's on house arrest. He's on lockdown. He's confined to this house and and he doesn't know when or if he'll ever get to come out again and and he's yearning to be with the body of believers he, he's he's desperately wanting to be together with the body of believers now I'm not describing my last two months I'm describing Paul as he writes the letter to Philippians the the Philippians is is one of Paul's brightest letters it's 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 open and sweet, it's light, it's airy, it's, it's beautiful. And, and, and it's, it's really heartfelt. It's, it's really, when, when you read through Philippians, it's really affectionate. And, and it's chock full of those, uh, those bumper sticker Bible verses. You know, the ones, you, you've heard them all. To live as Christ, to die as gain. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And, and this is the only letter that we have in the entire Bible where... where Paul is not trying to correct some major problem. He's not uh, writing to, to correct some bad teaching or, or rebuke some, some bad behavior. We see Paul really sharing his heart for these people. His affection for the church at Philippi and his, his, his commendation of their Christian maturity. This is probably the closest picture we have in Scripture of, of what a healthy church looks like. Now, originally, on our original calendar where we had slated what we were going to do for 2020, I had a different series starting today, but as, as we've been wrestling with this and, and seeking God, praying about what should we be doing during this time, my mind kept coming back to Philippians. And, and because... This is a letter overflowing with joy. Uh, all, all the more remarkable when you realize that, that it was written by a guy who's basically in prison. Throughout Philippians, we find Paul talking about rejoicing, talking about joy. And, and I don't know about you, but we could use some rejoicing and some joy right now, right? So we're going to embark on this study of Philippians. In the next few weeks, we're going to walk through this book. And it's, it's, I'm calling this series No Matter What 
Because that's kind of what Paul is teaching in this book. One of the themes that he is teaching is that because of Christ, I can rejoice no matter what. Because of Jesus in my life, I have joy no matter what. And, and that, again, is, is something that we need. You know, in any of his other letters, you hear Paul saying, well, do this, but don't do that. But Philippians is different. Paul, Paul gives some instruction and addresses a few issues here and there. But, but overall, the, the letter is, is, is colored with, with his favor. It overflows with Paul's affection, his love for these people. He sees these people as more than, than sheep in his care, but these are his friends. These are people that he loves and deeply cares about. And, and I understand that. Like a lot of you, I miss church. I, I, I miss being together. I miss going to, to, to church. And we all know that, that the church is not a building. And, and we all know that we don't have to be together to have church. But, but I miss it. And, and you miss it too, hopefully. But we do. We yearn for it. You know, I... I I, I miss Martha kissing me on the cheek every Sunday morning. I miss, uh, I, I, I miss my hugs that I would get from Sally and Sharon and Laverne and on and on and on. I know I'm forgetting people, and, and I'm sorry, and, and don't get mad at me. Uh, this is just not in the notes, but I, I, miss, I miss Luke Godfrey coming into my office and, and, and marveling at, at the, the superheroes, and I... I, I miss just, just seeing you in the hallways and talking and, and catching up on what's happening in your life. And, and I miss it. And Paul misses it too. He yearns for it. You can hear it in his words. You can hear it in how he addresses the church. Listen to how he begins to address them in, in chapter 1, verse 1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. To all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God and all my remembrance of you always in every prayer of mine for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I'm sure of this that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It's right for me to feel this way about you all because I told you, I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Now, if you've read much of Paul, Paul's kind of a tough guy. In fact, Paul's words can sometimes be uh, really harsh, really uh, direct, really biting. But that's not here. This is different, Paul. This is, this is us getting a true glimpse of, of the affection, the love that he has for these people. He doesn't just miss these people. He yearns to be with them. It, how deep is his affection? He says his affection is love-sourced. In Jesus Christ you'll find him often referencing who they are in Christ and why what Christ did for them he wishes them well and and expresses some love to them and 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 so before we get into this before we walk through Philippians I want us to take a minute and and look at who are these people because he loves these people and and who are they 
Philippi was a major metropolitan area. It, it was a, a major commercial port venue. It, it was uh, located along a major commercial road, rather, for the Roman Empire. It, the city teemed with industry, with, with, with agriculture, with artists, with, with people who were in the know. Um, it, it's a happening place. It's, it's a bustling city. It's, it's uh, populated with, with the movers and the shakers and the people that, that matter. And, and th this is the kind of place that a missionary church planner like Paul would be called to. So to get a full picture of Paul's love for these people, I want us to rewind and go all the way back to Acts. And, and if, if you have your Bible, we're going to be in Acts 16. And, and to get a picture of who these people are, we're going to go back to Acts 16 and, and look at how he comes into contact with them. We're going to start in verse 11. So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Semithrace and for the following day to Neapolis and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in the city some days, and on the Sabbath day we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul, and after she was baptized in her household as well, she urged us, saying, if you've judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. So Paul had received a vision of Macedonia. He had received a vision of a Macedonian man calling for help, which he took to be a spiritual vision. So without delay, he and, and, and Luke and Silas and Timothy set sail for Macedonia, which brings them to Philippi. They arrive, and, and as is their custom, they go looking for a synagogue. They go looking for a Jewish place of worship. But instead of finding a synagogue, they basically find what amounts to a women's Bible study outside of town. And there's a bunch of ladies who are meeting, and, and they're studying the Word of God because they are, are people who are seekers, who are followers of God. This, this shows us, though, that there is not only a lack of Christian presence in Philippi, but even the lack of a Jewish community. So that there's not even enough Jewish males to have a synagogue. So the leader of this service seems to be this woman named Lydia. Lydia is from Thyatira. Now, that tells us that she's ethnically Asian. She has a house in Philippi, though, which, which tells us that economically she's pretty well off. You, you got to think, uh, think uh, a fashion, uh, fashionista, they call them. Think of a, a, a fashionista who has a house in New York and a house in Paris. That's the Lydia that we're talking about. She is one of the important people. She is uh, a CEO of her own fashion empire. She is, uh, she's doing very well for herself. And Lydia is leading this Bible study because she is what the Bible calls a God-fearer or, or a worshiper of God. 
that means that she has rejected the paganism and the polytheism of the culture around us. She doesn't believe in the dozens of gods that, that, that her fellow Romans believe in. Instead, she is worshiping Yahweh. She is worshiping the one true God. So she listens to this teaching. She's living out her faith. She is intelligent. She is successful. She is a seeker. She's gathered with a group of women to, to, to study the scriptures. And she's reading the Torah. She's reading the, the laws of God. She's learning the commandments and the requirements. And she sees that she doesn't really fit in that picture. That picture, the laws that are created are, are not for someone like her. See, she's broken some of those laws she has failed some of those commands ethnically and and culturally she does not fit in that picture and then paul shows up and begins to talk about a different spiritual framework a different new covenant that's being made through jesus paul begins to explain to this women's bible study that God gave the law to reveal that we had fallen short of God's glory. And he explains that only by Christ's work on the cross can we find atonement. And Paul engages Lydia with reason. He talks to her intellect. He logically makes arguments that, that, that get into her head. And, and, and they talk about this from a philosophical level. Now, she believes and her whole household is baptized then she invites Paul to stay in her home, which you got to know for this guy who is this bivocational, itinerant, traveling, church planner, missionary, had to be a welcome thing because he's not stayed in homes like Lydia's very much. He's not stayed in a nice place. So the church in Philippi begins with this conversion of this high society businesswoman through intellectual engagement. But the story doesn't end there. As Acts 16 continues, we see the, the mission in Philippi, and it reveals the diversity of the church that God's planning there. Let's pick it up in, in verse 16. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. Now, here is an absolute contrast to Lydia. Where Lydia is Asian, this girl is Greek. Where Lydia is in control and a, and a thinker and an intellectual, this little girl is impoverished, enslaved, and exploited. Where Lydia is a seeker, this girl is proclaiming the way of salvation unwittingly and involuntarily. God still goes after her, though. It's interesting that Paul doesn't turn around to her and say, hey, I'm doing a seminar on Saturday. You ought to come on and, and, and listen to what we have to say. He doesn't do that. 
He, he doesn't invite her to the Riverside Bible study. He doesn't appeal to her reason at all because she's irrational. She's out of control. Instead, Paul gets annoyed. I love that. Anytime people say that, you know, the Bible's not true, I always point out to them, if you were going to write a fictionalized account, you wouldn't write it the way the Bible's written. Because you wouldn't talk about your heroes being annoyed. Paul gets annoyed, and, and he rebukes this demon, this spirit that's inside of her, because he's annoyed. He's tired of her yelling in his ear. And he turns around, and, and he rebukes the spirit and frees her in an instant. Now, the contrast between these two Philippian conversions is startling. Where Lydia is engaged intellectually, this slave girl is engaged spiritually. The deliverance of the gospel takes on the context of personal need. Hear that. The deliverance of the gospel takes on the context of personal need. But the conversions aren't done. Verse 20. And when they brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews and they're disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments off of them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. Now, when, when we hear stocks, we think of that uh, 1700s New England thing, you know, where they stuck their heads through and this this business that's not what this is the Romans perfected torture and killing they made it an art form they, they were really really good at that and Roman stocks were not like something that just held your head in your hands these contraptions would would contort the prisoners body into all kinds of poses all kinds of unnatural poses and and the, 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 the limbs and the joints would lock up in such a way that the whole body would cramp. And the, the body would seize up and they couldn't move. And, and then the Romans would leave them like that for days. And then they'd come back and twist it again into a new position. Now, notice here, the jailer is not commanded to put them in stocks. The jailer is not commanded to torture these men. They've already been beaten. He's commanded to keep them safely. This ain't a nice guy. Th this guy is, is very diligent. He's very good at his job. And he probably likes it a little bit too much. He's going above and beyond to take this to another level. He takes it upon himself to torture the prisoners. He not only locks them up, but he locks them up in this vicious torture contraption. And, and he's pretty pleased with himself. He's got to feel pretty good about himself. He's, he's going above and beyond. He's going to get a commendation for this. But he hadn't met Paul. Verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners we're listening to now you see this <laughs> they're supposed to be writhing in pain they're supposed to be screaming in agony they're supposed to be begging for mercy but what are they doing they're having church 
They're praying. They're singing. They're glorifying God. They're, they're praising God. And then something amazing happens. Verse 26, And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we're all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke, the word of the, they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up to his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. One more Philippian conversion to add to the mix. Now, we have a rich, trendy businesswoman. We have a poor, desperate slave girl. And now we have this guy, the middle class working still. So how does the Holy Spirit go after him? With Lydia, he engages her mind. With the slave girl, he engages her spirit. But with this blue-collar, ex-GI working man, it's all about a living witness. He's not converted merely by the miracle. He's converted because he's never seen anybody live life. He's never seen an example like that of Paul and Silas. He's seen countless people come through this jail. He's seen people put in this contraption, and he knows all manner of responses to this, but he's never seen one like that. And so there's your church. A businesswoman, a slave girl, middle class working still. And when Paul says, for God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus, that's who he's talking about. How I long for the days in Lydia's house, sharing meals and talking about Jesus. You people are my heart. Can you imagine all the things that are going through his head? I mean, can you imagine? He's, he's wondering, how are things going with this young church plant? How, how are things doing? What amazing things has God used Lydia for? And, and, and her multicultural, her, her financial wealth, her, her abilities and her reach. What has God used this woman for, for the gospel? And, and what about the slave girl? Is, is she married? Does she have children? How, how has God worked in her life? And, and what about our, our working stiff? Is he still kind of rough around the edges? Is he still kind of mean? Do they still have to deal with him doing things that he probably shouldn't do? How, how's this church going? If we're honest to ourselves, we admit that we group with people who are like us, right? We, we group with people who see the world like we do. We group with people who are in the same socioeconomic state or, 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 or ethnicity or, or culture or, 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 or whatever, we group together in our neighborhoods, in our relationships, in our friendships. It's just human nature to want to be around people who are like you and me. 
But the gospel is not natural. In that society, just like ours, rich fashionistas don't associate with impoverished demoniacs. It doesn't happen. But the bravery of Paul being able to put his own life on the line, and more importantly, through the grace of Jesus Christ, what once was divided has been united in love. The gospel creates a new reality that, that deepens our understanding of the world and, and our place in it. With, with gospel eyes, we begin to see the world the way Jesus did. In the image of God, we see people as the image bearers of the living God. And, and instead of judging people by their wealth or their station or their career, we come together in Christ and share in that love together. Our world identifies people by a lot of markers, by a lot of things. While Lydia might be defined by her wealth and her station, the slave girl, we might be defined by our, our poverty and our situation. Like the jailer, we might be defined by our, our, our work, our career, our affiliations. In our culture, we take it even further. We define people by their race, by their political party, by their location, by their belief system, by their sexual desires, by their living arrangements. By, by the, the list can go on and on and on and on and on. But what Paul is getting at here in the book of Philippians, and it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more, verse 9, with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. For Paul, it's all about love. It's always all about love. Throughout Scripture, every one of his letters, not just Philippians, it's always all about love. Romans 13, let no date re debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. Because love is the fulfillment of the law. Galatians 5, the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. 1 Corinthians 13, so now faith, hope, and love abide. But the greatest of these is love. What brings together a group like this? What can knit a rich fascinista, a, a, an impoverished mental health challenged slave girl, and a blue collar working stiff into a body of believers? Love. The love of Jesus Christ. That's the only thing that can do that. Only love. You'll hear a lot of talk about the most important things in churches. Is it, is it communion? Is it worship? Is it singing? Is it, is it the kind of music we have? Is it, is it the kind of place that we meet? Is it the name on the sign? The most important thing is love. Paul prays that love would abound more and more. Because what knits together a diverse group? Love. I played that video at the beginning because I wanted you to see our church is like this church in Philippi. Your church, whether it's ours or not, is like this church in Philippi. It is full of diversity. There are no two of us alike. But we're knit together. Not because of anything that happens in a building. Because of love. My prayer this morning is the same prayer that Paul's praying for this church. That our love 
can abound more and more. You see, all around us, this one believes that the world's a conspiracy and this one doesn't. This one believes that they're supposed to wear a mask and this one believes that they don't. And, 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 and we're, we're, we draw battle lines and we begin to judge each other. Our prayer is that our love abound more and more. That's what knits together diverse people into a body of believers. That's what brings us together. Love rooted in Jesus Christ. And regardless of where you at, where you're at, the gospel is going to take whatever path it needs to to reach you. Whether it's it's intellectual, whether it's spiritual, whether it's it's example, whatever it is, the Holy Spirit is going to grab you where you're at and bring you together, knit you together into a body of believers that exists in love. And so as a church, what are we called to? To love no matter what. That's our prayer this morning. When we go out this week, when you encounter someone, you're, you're going to show them love no matter what. When you are engaging with other people in conversation, you're going to show them love no matter what. When we're praying for our leaders, regardless of whether we agree with their politics or, or their place or anything, we're going to pray in love, no matter what. Because what binds us together? Love rooted in Jesus Christ. That's what it's all about. The greatest of these is love. And like Paul, we pray that our love may abound more Our Father in heaven, we praise you, we thank you, Lord. We glorify you for the way you knit together diverse groups of believers, for, for the way you bring together those of us who, who might be in totally different stations in different places all across the map of our culture, and you knit us together in the love of Jesus Christ. Lord, help us to take that love and show it to a lost and dying world, a world that is hungry for love. Let us be people who abound in love. Forgive us when we fail you. Bless us. Watch over us. We ask this prayer in Jesus' name.
I want to once again thank you for joining us this morning. We know that there are a lot of places you could be, not physically, but there are a lot of places you could go to church or watch uh, this morning, and we thank you for joining us. Um, members of HCOC, I want you to know that we're going to continue in this format digitally uh, through the month of May. We're looking at coming back together physically in June. We're working on plans right now of of how to do that in the best way that that works with the legal ramifications that are being placed on us by the government as well as what will be safest for our members we don't want to just do some kind of weird thing that doesn't look like what we do we have committed throughout this thing to do worship the way we do worship and we're going to continue to do that and hopefully in June as as things have continued to disperse and and the the opening has continued we will be able to come together in a way that is most like how we come together in worship so bear with us a couple of more weeks of digital and then we will hopefully be able to come together in some form but I encourage you again to be in prayer for for the leaders uh, both nationally the state the local and, and your your leaders of your congregation of your church because they all are making very very hard decisions that involve a lot of different opinions a lot of different lives and they are trying to do the best thing for everyone and so we want to ask God to give all those people the wisdom that they need in this situation God bless you I hope to see you soon uh, we're gonna close with a word of prayer Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord. We glorify you, we praise you, we worship you this morning. We lift you up as the Lord of lords, the King of kings, the God of all creation. Lord, we hope that this morning our worship was pleasing in your sight. We hope that the words of our songs, that the words of our prayers, that, that our communion together, and, and that our seeking of you through your word has, has been something that is edifying uh, to one another and that is pleasing in your sight. Lord, bless all of those who are making decisions right now at whatever level, all those who are in leadership. Give them wisdom and courage to make the right decisions as for uh, whatever you have put them in control of. Lord, bless us. Help us to be people of love and to do all that we do to the glory and honor of your name. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.